chapter 17. Stand with me, please, for the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> John chapter number 17. And uh, can you hear me okay? It sounds a little bit soft to me. And uh, if you turn me up just a little bit, if you'll uh, bear with us, we've had uh, a little bit of trouble, and uh, we may have to switch over to another handheld, but we'll uh, we'll give it a go with this and see how it goes, amen? And uh, John chapter 17, is that better? All right, good. Some of you looked at me for the first time. Oh, we're in church. Here he is. Uh, <clears throat> all right, good. Uh, <laughs> John, welcome to church. John chapter 17, verse 1. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father... The hour is come, glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. Verse 2, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, thee the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Verse 4, I have glorified thee on the earth, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known all, uh, I'm sorry, now they have known all the things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee, for I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. Notice verse 8, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Our Father, I pray that you'd help us this morning. Father, this is a wonderful truth. Father, I there's no way that a human instrument can do justice to the words of God. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, the Bible tells us, and I'm reminded of that every time I stand to preach your book. And I'm, Father, I, I'm so unworthy, and you know that. But Father, there's a wonderful truth here that needs to be conveyed to your people. And Father, it needs to be conveyed to those who may not be saved this morning. I pray that you would just do a work of grace in every heart as you see fit. Father, uh, save the lost and uh, draw the saved closer to thee. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. About a year and a half ago, <clears throat> Dr. Tom Williams came to preach for us. I believe that would have been May of 2017. And uh, Brother Williams is known as a man of prayer. He is uh, he's a prayer warrior, to say the least. And Brother Williams was with us, and one of the days that he was here, he, he called me, or I called him. I forget, we were trying to, uh, to coordinate something about the service that evening. And uh, Brother Williams said, uh, said, Pastor, do you, is there some time where I can come by your office today and pray with you? And I said, sure, that'd be great. And uh, Brother Williams came by. It was about, oh, 3.15 or so in the afternoon, and he came into the office, and we knelt down to pray. And he prayed for a while, and then I prayed for a while, and then he prayed for a while, and then I prayed for a while. And <clears throat> I'll have to be honest with you, during the course of his praying, it was almost as if you were listening to... Moses pray. That's kind of how I felt. Uh, I caught myself, instead of praying while he was praying, to be honest, I caught myself a few times just listening to him and almost thinking, wow, what am I doing here? And, uh, you know, I have, I, I've been around a few people like that that I thought really had an inroad with God. So to speak. I understand that God hears all of our prayers, but there have been a, a few times in my life where I heard people pray and thought, 
That's just incredible right there. I remember when I was a kid, I got up in the middle of the night one time, and I, my bedroom was on the opposite end of the house from everyone else's bedroom, and the restroom was on the opposite end of the house from where my bedroom was. And, and uh, at the time, my dad was pastoring a church on the mission field, and, uh, and there were some problems going on in the church, and, and I didn't know a lot. I was just nine or ten years old at the time, and I got up in the middle of the night to go to the restroom, and I walked, I left my bedroom and walked through the living room and down the hallway, and it was dark, of course, and I heard something. <clears throat> I heard my dad pray. And I'll never forget it. I heard him talking to his father, his heavenly father, and uh, I thought, man, that's, that's amazing. <clears throat> you know, it's one thing to hear someone pray, and I, uh, I enjoy Saturday morning men's prayer meetings once a month, and uh, I, that, that's a wonderful time. You know, I've often said <clears throat> that I would have loved to have heard Jesus pray. You know, it'd be one thing to hear him preach, and, and I believe when we get to heaven, I don't know this to be sure, but <clears throat> I, I just personally believe that when we get to heaven, God will let us have some insights into some things that happened during time on earth. <clears throat> I'm looking forward to being uh, going back in time and, and being there and seeing some things that happened that are recorded in the Scriptures. And I've often said it would have been really great to hear Jesus preach. Man, I, I would have loved to have heard him preach. But I, can I tell you something that I, I would rather have heard even more than hearing Jesus preach? I'd rather have heard him pray. To hear Jesus talk to his heavenly Father. To hear Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, perhaps. Or to hear Jesus in those early mornings where He was out away from the disciples and before the hustle and bustle of a busy day, to have heard Jesus talk to His Heavenly Father, because the Bible tells us on many occasions that He would He would rise a great while before day, and He would meet with His Father, and He would they would commune together, and they would talk, and He would pour out His heart. And of course, Jesus, He was 100% God, and yet 100% man. And we can't quite wrap our minds around that, but it's true. Jesus was the God-man, but He would bear His heart to His Father. I would have loved to have heard Him pray. Loved to have heard Him pray. The disciples, they heard him pray. They heard him uh, in uh, in Luke chapter 11. No doubt they had just heard him pray because the Bible tells us that that uh, they went to a certain place where they knew Jesus was finishing up his prayer time. And the Bible says that the disciples went to Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. It's interesting to me that the disciples never asked Jesus to teach them to preach at least as far as we have recorded in the Scripture. The disciples never said, Jesus, teach us to teach. They never said, Lord, teach us to serve, because Jesus was the ultimate servant, and the disciples no doubt learned from the example of our Savior what serving people was all about. No, no, no doubt they heard Him preach, and they heard Him teach, and they heard Him uh, uh, maybe sit around campfires on cool evenings, and He would talk to them, discussions that are not even recorded in the Scriptures for our benefit, but no doubt Jesus spent much of his time in that three and a half year ministry teaching his disciples and training them and trying to help them because he knew that once he was gone to heaven, he knew that they would be here left to carry on the work of getting the gospel around the world and starting churches and training converts and so forth. And the disciples went to Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Luke 11 
is that outline that Jesus gave to his disciples to teach them how to pray. A lot of people refer to that, Luke chapter 11 and Matthew chapter 7, they refer to that as the Lord's Prayer. I personally believe I would rather call it the model prayer or the sample prayer. Jesus was giving us an outline of how to pray. And what a wonderful thing that is. But understand something, if there's one thing that God's people need to return to in 2018, it's prayer. It's prayer. You know, our homes are suffering. Our children are confused. We're enamored with the world on every side. And we wonder why, and I believe one reason why revival does not come in our country is on a spiritual level is because God's people have traded holiness for worldliness. And we've traded holiness, uh, and, and, and by the way, holiness only comes as we spend time with God. Uh, you can have all kinds of rules and regulations and so forth, but true holiness only comes from spending time in the presence of God Almighty. And we have traded that holy life with God and consecration to Him and a life that's dedicated to Him and a love for Him and a service to Him, and we've traded that for cheap worldliness. You see, simply put, we must have a return to prayer. If, there, if there's any hope, it's in prayer. Thank God for what He's done in our country in recent days. Thank God for it. It's a wonderful thing. And, and, and thank God for men who, who, uh, uh, who are in positions of leadership whose values line up with this book right here. That's a wonderful thing. And thank God for it. I'll, I'll go on record as an American and as a child of God and say, thank God for what happened yesterday. Praise the Lord for it. But wait a minute, that's not where revival on a widespread level is going to come. It's got to start in the hearts of God's people, a return to holiness. And holiness is inseparable from spending time with God. You can't separate it. We must have a return to prayer. But the message this morning centers around a specific occasion, not in Luke chapter 11 where, the, where Jesus taught his disciples and gave them an outline to pray, but the message this morning, as you know, comes from John chapter 17. And in John chapter 17, we see a prayer from the Savior. And although we were not there to hear it, we have a, if you will, if I may use the term, transcript. God has given us a copy of the prayer that Jesus prayed to him in John chapter 17. A specific time where Jesus poured out his heart. And though we were not there to hear it, we could not, uh, we could not hear the pathos in his voice and we could not hear his, uh, the, the tone or the inflection of the words as they came out of the Savior's mouth. But we do know the words that he prayed and the message is taken from that this morning. The title of the message this morning is simply this, listening to Jesus pray. Listening to Jesus pray. I want all of us to listen in on some things and see what we can learn from this prayer of Christ. John chapter 17, we read several verses. I want you to, I want you to notice, first of all, as I hear the Savior pray, as I listen to Jesus pray, number one, I'm reminded of my security. I'm reminded of my eternal destiny. My eternal security. Look with me in John chapter 17 and verse number 10. The Bible of Jesus here, he's praying, and he said in this prayer in verse 10, he said, all mine are thine, and thine are mine. I am glorified in thee. In verse 9, he said, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Notice twice he said, they are thine. They are thine. I'm reminded of my security from listening to Jesus pray. 
Boy, this is a wonderful thing, and I want to draw it to your attention. I want to rejoice this morning that my eternal destiny is secure. I'm talking about heaven is mine. Heaven is mine. Why, Pastor, how can you be so sure of that? Are you somebody? No, I'm a nobody, but he's everything. And Jesus is my way to heaven. Jesus is the one who gives me security. You see, I'm secure because I have God's word on the fact that God is keeping me saved. I've got God's word on that. You say, you do? John chapter 10, verse 28. And I give unto them eternal life. Notice what it says. And they shall never perish. Never perish. And no man, he said, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. You see, for me to be lost would mean that God is not true to his word. You, you understand that, right? For a saved person ever to be lost again would mean that the God of heaven who has given us his word, he'd be a liar. My Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. Uh, God's not going to lie. In fact, in Titus chapter 1 and verse number 2, the Bible says, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Look, I have God's promise on my eternal security. And as Jesus was praying, he opens up his prayer and he said, Father, <coughs> these are your people. These disciples that I'm praying for, they belong to you. One day heaven will be theirs. And I'm reminded by listening to the Savior pray, I'm reminded that I'm eternally secure in Christ. I'm secure because he's holding on to me. I'm not hanging on to him. <laughs> I hear people talk about uh, <clears throat> hanging on. I'm not hanging on. I'm in Christ. <laughs> hey, this is the life right here. I'm not holding on for dear life. I don't have white knuckles hoping that I can just somehow hang on till the end, hang on by my good works. No, no, I didn't do anything to get saved. Jesus did it for me. I'm not saved by good works. I'm not kept by good works. Hey, one day I'm going to wake up in heaven one day. And, and, and I love what someone, D.L. Moody, said to one of his preacher boys. He said, one day you're going to hear that D.L. Moody died. He said, don't believe it. Don't you believe it. He said, one day you're going to hear <coughs> that, uh, uh, that I have gone on and, uh, and that I'm, I'm no longer alive. He said, don't you believe it for one second? He said, because for at that moment, I shall be more alive than I ever have been. And that's true. That's true. Hey, I'm simply saying I'm secure. I'm not hanging on to him. He is holding on to me. Uh, I'm in his hand. John 6 and verse 37, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me, don't miss it, I will in no wise cast out. Oh, but preacher, boy, I got saved, but you don't, know, you don't understand what I've done since I've been saved. No, you're not hanging on to him. You're not hanging on to him. You're not saved by your merits. You're not kept by your merits. You're kept by the power of God. If you've truly been saved, you ought to feel secure because you're in the Father's hands. Now let me warn you. If you've not been born again, if you've not come to Christ for salvation, if you're depending on your good works or depending on the preacher or the pope or the, the, uh, uh, or, or, or some, uh, uh, priest somewhere, hey, <clears throat> then you ought to be worried. If you're depending on this preacher to take you to heaven, you ought to be really worried. Guy came up to me the other day and said, You saved me. I said, No, I didn't. <laughs> no, I didn't. I know what he meant. <clears throat> I had shared the gospel with him a couple of years ago and I happened to see him and said, You saved me. <laughs> you saved me. No, I didn't. I don't save anybody. Hey, God does the saving. Jesus does the saving. 
Now, if you've not been born again, uh, then you've got a right to be worried. You've got a right to be concerned, and you should be. But look at John 17 and verse 12. Jesus said, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept. And what does it say? None of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Now, who is he talking about there? He was talking about Judas. He said, he said, God, you gave them to me. He said, I'm going to keep them and you're going to keep them. I'm eternally secure. He said, and none of them is lost except for Judas. You say, oh, there it is. There it is, preacher. There it is right there. Judas lost his salvation. He never was saved. He was never saved because Jesus referred to him as the son of perdition. The word perdition is the word damnation, if you will. Judas never came to Christ. He was a phony uh, from the beginning. He was he was he was a fraud. He never was one of uh, of Jesus' disciples in his heart. You see, I'm eternally secure, and I'm reminded of that by listening to the Savior pray. And as I listen to Jesus pray, as I eavesdrop on his conversation with his heavenly father, if you will. Not only am I reminded of my security, but I'm also reminded of the fact that I belong to him. I belong to him. Look with me, if you will, John 17, verse 9. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me. Notice what it says. For they are thine. They are thine. He said, Father, these disciples that I'm praying for, these men that I have cared for, these men that I've called for a specific purpose, he said, Father, they belong to you. And may I say to you this morning, if you're saved, you belong to God. You belong to God. You're not your own. He wasn't just talking about Peter, James, and John. He wasn't just talking about the other disciples. He was talking about you and I. He was talking about everybody who would be saved from that point forward. He said, they are thine. What a thought. I belong to God. You ever, you ever let that sink into your thinking a little bit? You belong to the creator of the universe. Not everybody can say that, Brother Justin. Not everybody can honestly say, I belong to God. There are people in this world who would like all of us to believe, oh, you know, you know, pastor, we're all God's children. No, we're not. You won't find that anywhere in that Bible. John 1.12 says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. But if you haven't received the son of God, you don't belong to God. You're not his. You're not his child. Oh, you're his creation, and as his creation and his creature, he loves you and he wants to redeem you, but that redemption only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you don't know Christ, you don't belong to God. But if you do belong to God, well, you ought to recognize that. You ought to understand that. Last summer, a gentleman called the church and asked to speak with me. And uh, we chatted for a few moments, and he told me that uh, a group from our church had been knocking on doors in his neighborhood and uh, he wasn't upset at all about that he said uh, he said pastor the reason i'm calling you is because i think i'm possessed i said really and uh, he said yes i i think i'm demon possessed i said okay <clears throat> let's talk about it i said uh, i asked him a couple of questions and and uh, i sought that opportunity to give him the gospel right there over the phone and and I got a little bit, a little bit through the gospel presentation and he stopped me. He said, now, pastor, wait a minute, time out. He said, I'm saved. I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. 
And he proceeded to give me his testimony of where he was, and he gave me a clear-cut testimony of salvation. I said, sir, that's wonderful. I said, so why the phone call? He said, because I think I'm demon-possessed. I said, look, no, you're not. I said, you're not possessed. Uh, you know, you are, uh, uh, we talked on the phone a little bit. I tried to give him some instruction. And I said, look, I said, if you're saved, you cannot be demon-possessed because you're God-possessed. God already owns you, sir. And I'm, I'm sorry, God's not going to, as, as God's possession, He's not going to give you to the devil. All right? You're secure in Christ. You belong to Him. Hey, I'm simply saying, if you and I are saved, we belong to God. You know, we try to teach our kids to be respectful of things that don't belong to other people. And by the way, that's a good thing to teach your kids. Uh, they'll be out in the backyard playing sometimes, throwing football around or whatever. And, uh, and sometimes I have to remind them, and say, look, there's no, there's no definitive property line. I said, but stay off the neighbor's yard. Okay. They work hard to keep, maintain their grass and they don't want, uh, uh, they don't want you trampling all over their lawn. Okay. So be respectful of the neighbor's, of the neighbor's lawn. And that, that's a good thing to teach kids. And, uh, we'll, we'll try to teach them things like, you know, if you, uh, if you go over someone's house, be respectful, say yes, sir, and yes, ma'am, and no, sir, and no, ma'am. By the way, y'all say that whether you're visiting somebody's house or not. <laughs> and, uh, and we try to say, now, now don't make a mess in somebody else's, uh, uh, house or, or whatever. And if you do, clean it up and so on and so forth. Why? Why do we do that? Because it doesn't belong to them. We want to teach our kids to be respectful of property that belongs to someone else. And may I say this morning, guess what? My body belongs to God. My body belongs to God. I have no right to treat God's possession the way that I want to. I need to respect what He wants to do with His possession. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own. You don't belong to you. You say, oh, yes, I do. Uh, wait a minute, be careful how you say that. Because you're not, you're not owned by two different entities. Either God owns you or you own you, but it's not both. Are you with me? And if I'm saved, I belong to Him. I have no right to pollute God's body with alcohol. Why? It doesn't belong to me. I need to respect the temple of the Holy Spirit that the Bible says is my body. And, and so I'm, I shouldn't pour that rock gut in there. Why? Because it belongs to God. And he said, wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging. I ought to have better sense than to pollute God's possessions with drugs. I have no right to live any old way or dress any old way because this body is not mine. Hey, I'm supposed to submit myself to what God wants me to do because I am His. Jesus said, Lord, these disciples, they're yours. They belong to you. Well, we need to be reminded this morning that we are not our own. I have no business filling this mind with trash. Why? It belongs to God. I'm reminded of the fact that I'm eternally secure. I'm reminded of the fact that God owns me and God, I'm God's possession and, uh, and I belong to Him. And then I want you to see number three, I'm reminded by listening to Jesus pray. By listening to Jesus pray, I'm reminded of my first responsibility. My first responsibility. Look with me, if you will, in verse number 10. John chapter 17 and verse number 10. He said, And all mine are thine, and thine are mine. Notice what it says. And I am glorified in them. I am glorified in them. Now, again, we weren't there to hear it, but I want you to imagine if we were there. 
And we could listen and hear the words that are transcribed here in the Scriptures as they come out of the mouth of our Savior. And Jesus says to His Father, Father, I am glorified in these people that You've given me. I'm glorified in these people who have called on my name for salvation. I'm glorified in them. Hey, you know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of the fact that my first responsibility is to glorify Jesus Christ. If you're here as a child of God, you're not here to pat yourself on uh, pat, pat yourself on the back or make you look good. You're here to make Jesus look good. You're here to glorify God. You're here to trust Him. You're here to please Him. I'm reminded by listening to Jesus pray of my first responsibility. I ask you a question this morning. Did you glorify Jesus this week? Did the words you say glorify the Savior? Did the conversations you had with co-workers glorify the Savior? Did your activities outside of church glorify the Savior? You see, sometimes if we're not careful, we'll compartmentalize our lives and say, well, sure, I glorified the Savior. I was in church last Sunday. That's wonderful, but that's two hours out of 168. <laughs> you know what? My life is to glorify the Savior. Whether I'm, the Bible says, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Hey, I'm to glorify Him at work. I'm to glorify Him at play. I'm to glorify Him at home. I'm to glorify Him at church. I'm to glorify Him by what I say, by how I look. I'm supposed to, hey, my life is all about bringing glory to Jesus, making Him look good. And by the way, if you're saved, that's your first responsibility. That's your first responsibility. Glorify the Son of God. I'm reminded by listening to Jesus pray of my security. I'm reminded by listening to Jesus pray that I belong to God. I'm reminded by listening to Jesus pray that my first responsibility is to glorify the Savior. And then I want you to see this. I'm reminded by listening to Jesus pray of my citizenship. My citizenship. Look at verse 14, John chapter 17, verse 14. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world now were the disciples in the world yes are they to reach the world are we to reach the world absolutely but are we of the world no we're citizens of a, another country the Bible says hey this world is not my home I'm just a passing through my treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me one day from heaven's golden shore, and I just can't feel at home in this world anymore. That ought to be the testimony of every child of God, because we're a citizen of another country. Hey, we're just, we're pilgrims, the Bible describes it. We're sojourners. We're just passing through this world. Hey, we're going to live our 70 or 80 years or, or, or whatever God chooses to give us in this life, but hey, there's another life to come. And this life is simply a warm-up, if you will. It's a dress rehearsal for the life to come. And I need to be reminded on a, on a regular basis that I'm a citizen of heaven. And you're a citizen of heaven if you're saved. By the way, because I'm secure in Christ, I'm a citizen of heaven as if I was already there. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. John chapter 14. Aren't you glad there's a place prepared for you? Hey, it must be something. It must be something. Jesus has been back in heaven now for 2,000 plus years. He's been preparing that place for 2,000 years. Now, just imagine what could be done in 2,000 years to have a place prepared for those for whom it's prepared. Hey, that's where we're going. 
Hey, that's home. That's home. One day we're going to wake up and the troubles of life will be over and the, the, uh, the difficulties will be gone and the things that we got so messed up about down here will, will, will pale in comparison to the beauty that's over there and to the wonder of heaven and the glory of God that, that, that lights the way in heaven. And, and we're going to say, what problems? I don't have any problems. Wait a minute. You know, your loved ones are in heaven right now. This isn't necessarily the message, but your loved ones in, in heaven right now, <clears throat> if someone, if you could interview them this morning and say, hey, you remember back when you were having so much trouble with, with that sickness and so much trouble with those, uh, the, the, that, that crisis in your life, if they could speak to you right now, they'd say, what are you talking about? <laughs> they'd look at you kind of funny. You know why? Because they're living right now where it's at. Hey, we're citizens. You and I, we're citizens of that country. Now, it'll be a while before we get there, Lord willing. <laughs> One, that's one of those deals where everybody shouts amen and says, hey, who wants to go today? <laughs> hey, if we go today, I want us all to go together, amen? But hey, that's where we're going. We're citizens of that country. And I'm reminded of that when I hear Jesus pray. I'm reminded when I hear Jesus pray that joy rests in His Word. My joy rests in His Word. Look at the passage, if you will. John chapter 17. I guess I should have written it down. John chapter 17. Look at it with me, if you will. He said in verse 11, he said, And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one, as we are one. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, or but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Notice verse 13, And now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have joy fulfilled in themselves. Well, as I listen to Jesus pray, I'm reminded of the fact that my joy in this world is contingent on my obedience to His Word. My joy. You know, we live our lives in the pursuit of happiness. We live our lives trying to find the next fleeting thing that's going to bring us some pleasure or some enjoyment. And, and, and I'm not saying everything that brings you pleasure or enjoyment is wrong. Please don't, don't take what I'm saying out of context. But true, lasting joy is impossible apart from obedience to the Word of God. And when I listen to Jesus pray here in John 17, I'm reminded that I need to keep myself in that book if I'm going to have a joyful life fullness of joy as i listen to jesus pray finally this morning i'm reminded of something that's just one of the most remarkable thoughts i've ever had i'm reminded that jesus still prays for me i'm reminded that jesus prays for me you say, preacher, wait a minute, John 17, he wasn't praying for us. No, he said, I pray for them and those that come after him. But there's more than that. Jesus, look, I tell you what, turn with me if you have a Bible this morning over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Jesus right now is praying for us. And he's been doing it for about 2,000 years. He's been at it a long time. I'd say Jesus gets his prayers answered. Don't you think so? I think so. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again. Notice what it says. Who is even at the right hand of God, 
who also maketh intercession for us. He's praying for me right now. He's going to the Father on my behalf. Hey, let me give you another one. You, you need not turn to it, but Hebrews 7, verse 25, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Hey, time after time throughout the Bible, I'm reminded that Jesus is praying for me. Jesus is praying for you, just like he prayed for Peter. And he said, Peter, I have prayed for you, son, that your faith fail not. And, and when, when you're converted, you're going to strengthen your brethren. Hey, that same Jesus that prayed for Peter is the same Jesus who prayed for me there in John 17 and he's been praying for me for the last 2,000 years hey he loves me and he cares for me and he's interested in what's going on in my life and Jesus knows what's best for me and he's praying to the Father on my behalf this morning wow what a blessing Jesus is praying for you you know the last thing I see the last thing that I'm reminded of as I tiptoe in to Jesus' private prayer time is this. The greatest news you'll ever hear. The greatest news you'll ever hear on either side of eternity. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me. He loves me. He goes to God on my behalf. You know why? He loves me. He came to a foreign earth that was so distant from heaven and so foreign to the glories of eternity past and the time with His Father and He'd never been apart from the Heavenly Father and yet He came to a crude manger in Bethlehem's stable and He was born there and He was laid in swaddling clothes in that manger and He grew up 33 and a half sinless years and He was mocked and He was beaten and He was he was um, uh, made fun of and He was scoffed and He was smitten and scorned and, and, uh, and beaten and put on a cross. Why would He do that? He loves me. He loves you. Why would He spend all that time with those disciples? Teach and train them. Because He loves me. He loves me. And as I listen to Jesus pray via the text of John chapter 17, I'm reminded that God loves me. He loves you this morning. It doesn't matter what your spiritual condition is. He loves you. If you're saved, He loves you. If you're unsaved, He loves you. If you're away from Him this morning, He loves you. If you're close to Him, He loves you. If you, as we taught on Sunday night, if you have drawn nigh to God and He has drawn nigh to you, He loves you. But may I say, if you're away from God today, if your heart is cold and indifferent toward the Savior, if you have thumbed your nose in the face of God Almighty, and if you have, if you're, if you find yourself far away from God, He still loves you. He still loves you. Say, preacher, can you explain it? No. No, I can't. Who can explain the great love of God? Nobody can. But God demonstrated it to us 2,000 years ago on a cross. He demonstrated it by putting His own Son on a cross to die for my sins so that I could go to heaven. And He did that for you. He did that for you. The lessons we learn by listening to Jesus pray. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. Every head